He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you today. And by the way, guys, before we get started with the podcast, Charles Howell texted me this morning, said something personal, came up last minute, um, and that he's going to try to re-link up with us on Wednesday for that Charles Howell interview. So we decided to go ahead and do the podcast today and just talk about the craziness that was the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. And guys, Kurt Kitayama played David against a bunch of Goliaths. I mean, you look at the guys that were behind Kitayama in this tournament. Rory, English, Cantlay, Spies, Scheffler, Hatton, all of those guys, Ryder Cuppers, and very established players. And you get one of the best stories of the year, in my opinion, Kurt Kitayama. Not only the story of his entire career, but look what he did yesterday, guys. He Triple bogeys number nine and somehow has the minerals to come back and win. Kurt Kitayama, guys, went to Chico High School and then he went to UNLV. By the way, he was like an all-state basketball player at Chico High School. He doesn't look like he would be, um, but that's why Xander Shoffley calls him the quad father. But listen to this. Then he goes to, after UNLV, he goes to the Canadian Tour, the Web.com at the time, the Asian Tour, the Asian Development Tour, Japan Tour, PGA Tour China, China Tour, Korean Tour, European Tour Q School, Australasia Tour, Sunshine Tour, DP World Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour, guys. What a story this is. I mean, I loved watching that unfold yesterday. And, I mean, T-Dub, I think Rory put it perfect when he said, hey, it wasn't that entertaining to me because no one was making any birdies, but you know what? One guy did make a clutch birdie, and that was Kurt Kitayama on 17 after a great shot in there to about 10 feet, rolls it in, and then makes the clutch par on 18 after having a terrible lie in the left rough. I really enjoyed the golf yesterday. That's just me. Yeah, I guess Rory wants to play a pitch and putt every single week, and then he finds that entertaining. I'm not really sure exactly what he meant, by that comment, I bet if he would have won the tournament, he might have saw it in, in a different light. But at the end of the day, I just think it was just a hard golf course that ended up getting burnt out at the end of the day. I mean, you could see the greens. They have essentially 12 different colors to them because they, they needed some water desperately. And they were just trying to make the course as hard as it was. And you had you had some guys who went out there like, like Kitty Yama, who, who, as you mentioned earlier, Sam had that horrible triple on nine, but then played a very solid back nine to, to get himself back into it. Or... Then you had guys like, like Terrell Hatton, who absolutely botched holes 12 and 13, two of the worst three putts I've ever seen. And, and then you have Jordan Spieth, who misses five or essentially four five-footers in, in the last five holes. So it was you, you had a kind of a mixed bag of just who wanted to claim this tournament, and no one really seemed to want to do it, Woody. But at the end of the day, it was, uh, as Sam mentioned, a feel-good story for Kitayama. But to have all those big names there and to have no one really go out and just seize the trophy well, was a little bit unorthodox from what we're used to seeing. I mean, you guys hit this right nail right on the head, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it more, but 
I was just really surprised. I know the golf course is really hard. I've played it, and it is hard, especially if that rough is up. It, it's it's close to major type difficulty. Fast, really firm greens, deep rough. Imagine if the wind but was I, up yesterday, Woody. Yeah, and that too. So it was a really good test, but I was still just amazed at how many of these guys we call world-class golfers they hit some of the ugliest golf shots. I, I think for me watching this, I was shocked at how many really, really bad golf shots I saw yesterday in this golf tournament. That's what, that's what made me just kind of go, holy cow, these guys are not all that, is what I thought when it was all done. No doubt about it. There was a time there when I'm going, these names are great, but I'm sitting here and I know what I'm looking at. I'm watching a pillow fight, guys, and it it really did seem like that. Now, you did have Jordan Spieth get off to the hot start. He had, what, 11 putts in his first 10 holes? Um, And then, guys, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it did look to me like Jordan Spieth's back might have flared up on him a little bit. Um, we saw a couple tee shots go wayward and him kind of reach back at the back. Greller said he was fine. I don't know whether the back had any issues, but I will tell you this. He had that clutch. Uh, he had that one really important five-footer. What was it? on number thir- on, uh, He made the birdie on 13, and then Spieth uh, on 14 had about... Uh, a five foot, five and a half foot putt. And all the putts that he had made before that were mid-range putts. But this was really the first short one that he had to make. He's right there uh, at the top of the leaderboard. And I noticed him kind of re-gripping a lot before that putt. It looked like he was nervous over it. And then he goes on to miss the three-and-a-half-footer at 15. Um, you know, Then he snap hooks the tee shot straight left. I, I thought it was a mixture between him not necessarily trusting the new putting posture, I guess you would say, with him a little more hunched over. And then I thought maybe the new putting posture might add something to do with, uh, you know, the the snap hook left on the next hole. And, and he really just hit the ball like crap coming down the stretch. So maybe let's go through each guy. But what you guys first, first of all, think about Spieth? I, I thought the start to his round yesterday was just classic Spieth. And it was just ridiculous to watch. I mean, I got pretty tired of it. After he chipped in, on whatever hole it was there, I, I think it was five. And I'm just like, dude, come on. Like, I mean, he's he's already birdied one, three, four, and, and then then on, on five as well. So I'm just like, man. At, at that point, you're thinking, okay, he's going to win this tournament because this is all the stuff that he does. But comes down and, and isn't able to birdie the sixth hole, par five, and then doesn't birdie the twelfth hole, the par five either. Makes a bogey in there on eight. Makes two good birdies on uh, 10 and 13. But but then Sam, I, I think what you had, what we were just talking about was the trust factor, especially on the putting because you could tell the speed on all of his putts just wasn't there. And in that late afternoon, when those greens can get a little bit bumpier, it, it, you have to be able to commit to your line, and, and it didn't seem like he was able to do that whatsoever. So I, Woody, I think for speed going forward, it's just he, he's got, he's got so much going on in his head with so many different things, whether it be swing, putting, or whatever. And we talk about it all the time the different layers of competition that there are. And now he's finally got himself into that boat to where he's had the failures at really the latest stage of a tournament that you can. So this may be good for him going forward, but compared to what we saw yesterday, you can definitely tell that what he's been working on crumbled when he needs it most. They, they had a stat that he was, uh, he'd only hit four out of the first 11 greens. And uh, at the time, he was three under. 
which when you guys really stop and really think about this, you know, we talk to people, our students, especially high school and young kids, about how important their short games are. Uh, well, if you didn't see it there, I mean, holy cow. But I'm sorry, gentlemen, I don't see any way this 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 guy wins like he was winning back when he first started, especially majors. When you're that, so crooked. I mean, just absolutely horrendously bad. And, you know, sometimes I think him and that Cameron McCormick, I don't know, I, I, who am I to say, because I sure as heck have never played that level, but you get to a point where are you just tinkering too much? How about just go play golf like he did when he first came out there? Was he a superstar at ball striking when he first came out? No, but he was a heck of a lot better than he is now, guys. That's all I got to say about that. He, he looks horrible now over the golf ball no doubt about it i think both of you guys are spot on when talking about speed now let's talk about hovland because hovland all day it just seemed like everyone ahead of him was playing so bad he was sitting in great position because he had the most holes left of anybody and then guys i mean he what doubles number eight and then makes back-to-back birdies on 10 and 11 and all of a sudden even though he's one over par for the day on 13, he has a birdie putt uh, from about 10 feet that he completely misread to take the lead, guys. And then he still has a chance on 16. Maybe he can get, you know, a birdie or possibly even an eagle on 16. What happens? He lays the sod over this nine iron into the water. So, guys, number one on number eight, kind of like what we were talking about with Spieth, what Spieth was working on throughout the offseason with this new putting posture, it seems like it was working up until crunch time, and then he went and didn't really trust it. Same thing with Hovland. We saw that bunker shot on eight. It was not that hard of a shot. It it was plugged, but all you got to do is pop it up and, you know, land it two feet onto the green and let it roll out, and then he hit another terrible bunker shot right after that ends up making double there and then all of a sudden just uncharacteristically lays the sod over one on 16 and then bogeys 18 uh you know three putts 18 as well and so guys I I thought it was probably one of the most disappointing days from Victor Hovland that I've seen in his career T-Dub I absolutely agree and we talk about this all the time but it's at a point now to where is it in his head that he can't win a professional tournament in the continental United States? I mean, it has to be at this point with some of the things that I saw in this final round because what happened on the eighth hole, it, I, I can understand that with how much he's been going on with his chipping. But to hit the shot that he did in the 16, I think, was really the most shocking out of all of those because I, he's just been such a solid iron player over his career. But for whatever reason, yesterday, I mean, his iron play was horrible. He lost 2.23 shots approach, lost, one, lost more than a shot around the green and lost almost two shots on the green. So it's uh, every single aspect of his game besides his driving it was absolutely horrible. He actually drove the ball exceptionally well yesterday, just wasn't able to really take advantage of it. So I don't know what he is it in his head now, just exactly where the tournament is, and maybe that's the reason he's not able to get it done. Because I saw a lot of things from Hovland yesterday that I did not expect to see. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would hope not. Um you know, I, I was shocked at how many balls I did see plugging those bunkers at Bay Hill this week. I, that, that tells me that Sam wasn't quite what they were looking for. But uh, Sam's right. That was not that difficult of a shot. I mean, I, I, I truly expected him to get at least on the green and give himself a chance for a par there. Um, Woody, real quick, know, before you go on from that, Azinger brought up a point that 
he said that when Hovland hit that bunker shot, it looked like he didn't have his weight far enough on his left side and he hit too far behind it. How should, uh, you know, maybe for our amateur listeners out there, how should they hit those plug bunker shots where you just want to get it barely on the green and let it roll out? Well, he was a little bit, it looked like a little bit on an upslope, which will tend to get you a little bit tilted too. But he was, I used to hit a bunker, a, a, a what we call fried egg or a plug bunker shot with a closed club face until I met Jamie Gonzalez way back when, when I was in college. And he said, now you're playing with an open club face. And what he was teaching me is what you just said. You have a little more weight on your left side than what you normally do. But a, a bunker shot, you want more weight left than right in all the time because you never want to be hanging back on. That's how you fat them and blade them. So what he's looking to do is to have the club face open and, and with his weight on his left, get a little bit steeper so he doesn't hit behind the golf ball. He hits kind of close to the golf ball, which in tune will tend to just pop it out like you said. It'll just drop it on the green. The open club face allows him not to have so much overspin on the ball where, where it will still run out because you can't help it from the standpoint because it was plugged, but it comes out of the bunker a lot softer than with a closed club face. It's, believe it or not, it's bunker play 101. It's what you learn real early. Um, I wouldn't think you'd have to think about it when you're a world-class tour player, but um, we, we every week, guys, we're seeing these these men that we think are what we call the world's best have what I call brain farts, just absolute go into a, a fog of well, how did they hit this shot? And I guess we were so used to, uh, well, we go to Tiger again, but even when I watched Jack Nichols back in the days and all the world-class players that used to be out there, they seem so much more focused coming down the stretch. These young men, I don't know what they're doing, but they just lose their concentration or get off on a tangent in their brain. Some, I don't know what it is, gentlemen, but like I said, that nine iron he hit on 16, first off, he was almost 190 yards and he's hitting a nine iron. You know, what the hell? I'm sorry. I guarantee in his bag he has this club called an eight iron. For goodness, I know you're under the gun, and they say, yeah, we want to make a hard swing when you're under the gun. Really? I saw Rory duck hook an 8-iron on 14. I saw him bat a 9-iron on 16. I don't agree, gentlemen. I mean, that's why we're giving all these clubs in our bag. Maybe he needs to go to Australia like I did back in that day and play with like six clubs and figure out how to finesse a shot. That's what I'm going to tell you. Tiger Woods would not have hit 9-iron from one night. He wouldn't have done it, boys. I, I just almost wonder, like, watching a tournament like this, T-Dub, if, you know, we were spoiled by Tiger Woods. We obviously were, that he showed us how to win golf tournaments and was used to winning golf tournaments. Nowadays, there are so many good players and no dominant players, per se, that, not not compared to Tiger, obviously, you know, you have the Rory's and the Roms and the Spees and the, you know, uh, DJs at times and even Scheffler at times have been dominant for short stretches. But I feel like sometimes guys just haven't been in that situation in so long because there are so many good players out there right now. Right. Do you, do you agree with me? I think there's a lot of validity to 100% what you're saying. It's uh, we were definitely fooled by Tiger Woods with just from the, the fact of, 
he never seemed to lose time. I mean, what was his win percentage when he had a final round lead versus compared to what everyone else is? It's an absolute joke how much different it was. So, yeah, we, we, we look at other players and we expect someone to just fill that void for us and just be a dominant factor. Even someone doing what John Rahm has done over the last couple of weeks. But before he went into this tournament, he shot 65 in the first round or 66, whatever it was, then proceeded to finish outside of the top 40. And so Tiger would have absolutely never done that, but we kept saying – for the last couple of weeks, like, Rom is on the type of Tiger run. Well, no, yeah, that's not the case. And one thing we also got to take into effect, guys, is that, I mean, they're playing for $3.6 million. And I get that these guys have a lot of money, but there's pressure on that. There really is. And that, that's something that over the last 20 years, the purses weren't that much money. And so having a win, and what was kind of ironic is the guy who you would think would have the least financial uh, backing behind him when Kurt Kitayama is the one who comes out and shows that he has the most minerals out of it. So, I don't know, Woody. I think there's a combination of that. I think there's a combination of just wanting to have a legacy factor with this being Arnold's tournament, with it being another elevated event in the first of, what was this, like the fifth one that we've had or something like that, fourth one. So it's a, you're kind of just taking your claim at that point. So I think there's just a lot of things going on. And But, but the, the main thing that Sam said is, is truly right, is that we were spoiled by Tiger, and we cannot expect anyone to be as dominant as he was, especially when you have, the likes of all these different names up there. The fields are just so deep now that uh, it's really hard for one person to stick out, right? What What was crazy about this whole week is when Rom came out and shot 65 in the first round, I thought, me, man, this, this, this is a heater now. This, this boy doesn't know how to back up. And then just as soon as I think that guy's, boom. He he goes back to just looking like a normal guy like anybody else. Golf that, happened uh, to him. Woody, golf happened to golf- him. Yeah, that's what it came come down to. But, you know, I was never a world-class athlete. But I, I, I look at every sport where I've seen one that is, and as I was saying to you guys earlier, they never lost focus. When they were in the battle, they didn't make mental mistakes. They didn't do it. They were they – whatever makes that person that – much better at controlling their emotions, controlling their brain. And like I said, I don't want to sound like an old fart, but I am. As every sport as I've watched as I've gotten older, it's almost like they're really good, but they don't really care about being the best. They don't, they don't really want to sacrifice. They don't want to do all the things that the world's best athletes do. They might do it for a year, and they might do it for two years. They don't want to do it for their whole career. And I hate to tell you guys, but I think it all comes down to the money. The money is so big, it is so large, that if they don't win this week, guess what? We're going to the Tournament Players Championship, which got a bigger first, okay? There's more money there. And now we're talking about an elevated tour that maybe no cuts in a lot of events. I, I think we're just, our whole society is just breeding mediocre, and everybody's okay with it. And, I, you know, if I was Rory McIlroy with that much talent, I'd try to go get Tiger's record. But that's easy for me to say because I never had that kind of talent. But uh, that's what I see, guys, and that's my old fart speaking up. I, I just see mediocrity just makes me sick, and it looks like all those guys are – yeah, I didn't win this week. Doggone. Okay, well, I'll just go next week. Man, I'd be so pissed off if I was those five or six guys, especially Victor Hovland that hadn't won in the United States yet, and he just stepped on himself coming down the stretch. 
Oh, I'd be mad today. I, you wouldn't want to get around me. I, I'd be mad if it didn't spit. Hey, I, I think you make a lot of good points there, Woody. I will say that T-Dub and I on the radio show were talking about how it looked like there was going to be some low numbers out at Bay Hill that morning, on Sunday morning, and it turned out the actual opposite of that because the greens got so crispy. And let's talk about a couple of the guys that did struggle on the greens. Number one, Scotty Scheffler really struggled on the greens yesterday. In round four, almost lost two shots on the field on the greens. And I take you back, you know, he missed the 16-footer at 15. That was a big putt. And then Scotty had the 5-footer for birdie on 16 that he actually made, but it was a horrible lag putt, kind of rammed it by there. Uh, or, or did he chip that one? It, it, either way, I think he was right off the green. He either putted it or chipped it, and it went like, you know, five and a half feet by. Uh, but he made that one coming back. But what I'm saying is in round three, it looked like the old Scotty Scheffler where he was making all those clutch putts. And then he gets to 18, guys. Number one, he got lucky that he was one yard over the water on 18 and then just kind of had to chop down on that uh, little chip shot and left it eight feet short because of the bad lie. And then you have that putt to maybe even put a little bit more pressure on Kitayama, who obviously came close to making a bogey if, if you know that second shot doesn't come out perfect like he wanted it to. And he has that eight-footer, and he just dead pulled it left. It was not a misread. He completely pulled it left. So what I'm saying is, Scotty, we talked about how many tournaments, and, and it's a bunch, since the U.S. Open last year that he's lost shots on the greens and he does it again in round four yesterday, T-Dub. I think the putting is the reason why Scotty Scheffler lost this golf tournament. I agree with that. I mean, even going back to the first hole, I mean, he missed about a, a, a seven-footer for, for par on number one. Then he missed a four-footer on eight for bogey leading to a double there. So, yeah, I would agree that his putting definitely cost him coming down the stretch. And just the, the shot that he hit into, into 18 was pretty surprising to me. I expected him to be able to put it maybe a little bit further left of the flight. It looked like he pushed it a little bit, probably just a little bit flare to the right. And like you said, lucky that he even cleared the water. And that chip was, was in a really tricky spot because with how it was sitting down that rough, it's really easy to pop it out and get it to run 12 feet past the hole. And, and it didn't, Chef obviously didn't want to do that, so just completely misjudged it. But yeah, it's funny. It's just another example of when the pressure comes on, it, it exposes your weaknesses. And I think that's another layer to one of the things that we were talking about earlier about being spooled with Tiger is, Tiger didn't have any weaknesses. So even when the pressure brought up, it didn't get exposed because they weren't there. And, and with all these players, you kind of saw it. Even even looking at Rory McIlroy, he lost half a shot around the greens and half a shot on the greens yesterday, which has traditionally been his downfall. Even someone like Kurt Kitayama, who, who won the tournament, he lost over a shot and a half off of the tee. He was able to make it up on the greens. But you can tell with his swing, it's easy for him to get stuck and miss a lot of drives either right by holding on or flipping it left. He's hit, he hit, what, two or three drives out of bounds on the weekend. So, I mean, it's a pressure was going to expose your weaknesses. I think that's another element to it, Woody, is that these players, just as great as they are, they can be so good in two to even three areas of the game. But that one area where they struggle at, whenever the pressure gets on, when all everything matters, it's going to make you crumble. And if you're not able to rebound from it and become better from it, it's going to keep costing you tournament and tournament going forward. No doubt, and and it and it did on the, on this one. This was the perfect thing to watch. Watching all these different guys implode those greens, though, down there, guys. I, I, 
I can remember to this day, it's almost like it was so vivid. I was playing a practice around the Bay Hill, I believe it was 92. And I was on the 11th hole, and I saw something I'd never seen in my life and still never seen it. A steamroller. Now, not a huge steamroller like goes down the street, but a pretty doggone big steamroller. Comes off from the side of the green. And I'm looking at this, looking at my caddy, and I go, what, do you, what is that guy going to do? And you know what he did? He just rolled up on the green, and he rolled back and forth all that time when we were standing out there, a steamroller to prep, to pack that green to make that green hard. Now, I knew right then, I thought, man, I might be out of my league. I, you know, I, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> a steamroller roll onto a green. So those greens became treacherous. Which, here's what I would tell you guys. When the greens get that fast, okay, your putting stroke must be spot on. Must be. Because once the ball gets offline, it will not come back. It will not. So if you read a putt a certain way and you happen to maybe hit a good putt, you're not going to get any kind of, bounce or anything else, it's going to stay right there. Because I thought it was ironic Spieth even said, all those putts he missed, he misread every one of them. Well, if that's what he wants to go with, that's fine with me. And and kudos to him because he's keeping his confidence by saying that. But Did he he misread the one on three or four where he pushed it dead right and it somehow dropped? (laughs) You know what I mean? I know. I mean, what, what I'm saying is those greens are either really good if you're a great putter or they scare you to death. And just a little bit, gentlemen, a, a, a club face on a putter, if it's just slightly open or slightly closed, it's just uncanny how the ball will get just enough to miss that stupid little round hole uh, that we try to make the ball go into. And then it becomes a little mental. And then you start kind of thinking, okay, what do I go? Oh, wow, I missed that one right. Now do I need to, uh, uh, you know. And, and before you know it, guys, it, it is a mess. It, your brain's a mess. Everything's a mess. So you're either look real good on really fast screens or they can scare you to a point where you look really bad. Coming down the stretch, guys, I don't think any of those guys look comfortable on the greens, if you ask me. None of them. No, exactly. That's the next guy that I was about to get to, guys. Terrell Hatton, I felt like, was going to win this golf tournament after the front nine. He bogeys number one, but then he birdies three, four, and seven to shoot 34 on the front nine, and then makes two terrible bogeys just out of the blue at 12 and 13. Birdies 16, I think, to get him back in the lead, but then drops with a bogey at 17. Terrell Hatton is one of those guys, T-Dub, that I feel like he is is preventing everything himself from winning golf tournaments by bitching at yourself the whole round. I don't know how you could have the confidence to make key putts coming down the stretch. I mean, some of those putts like he hit on 13 or, you know, the putt on 15 that he had for birdie, they weren't even close because he, I I, I think part of it, he is so engulfed in his, I don't know, persona that he is famous for bitching at his shots that and, and, and his putts that 
I almost feel like subliminally he's already thinking about how he's going to bitch about this after he misses it. I don't know. And he was playing so good. I don't know. Terrell Hatton is an anomaly to me because he's like nobody else, but he's a lot like the average golfer that sucks and bitches at every single shot. It's crazy to watch. I I was always taught when I was younger, guys, that it's okay to get upset at a bad shot, but the the thing you have to do is you have to Rush it off and forget about it and be able to hit the next shot. And when I watch Terrell Hatton, I say there's no chance in hell he's able to do that. There's literally none. Like, like for example, on 18, he gets a pretty decent approach shot in there. What is it, about 15 feet right back? Right on the flag stick. Yeah, exactly. This is a good point. Go it, it ahead. Ended, it ended up 16 feet, 5 inches from the hole. And on one of the hardest holes on the course, and he's just in the middle of the fairway, hands on his head. Just, you could tell he's saying every cuss word he under the sun. The ground. So like he was pissed off about it. That's a great shot. Go make the putt. And so, my opinion, I, I said as soon as he hit that shot, I said there's no chance in hell he makes this next putt. There's none. And you could tell he wasn't going to make it before he even hit it because as soon as he made contact with it, he threw his hands up in the air and he missed it five feet right out of the hole and it went six feet by. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, like, whenever I watched John Rahm at Southern Hills last year, I, I saw something where he just wasn't happy the entire time he played golf. And when I watched Terrell Hatton, I see the same thing, and with John Rom, he's been able to improve it, and he's gotten better over the course of the year and became extremely dominant over the past two months. And Patton has a type of skill set to where he could be a top-10 player in the world consistently. The problem is, is that he gets so angry at himself, and there's sometimes where it's funny, where, where I, I literally hear him say some of the shit he says, and I laugh out loud because it's so funny. But, but there's other times where, like, when he's complaining about Southern Hills and Riviera being horrible course setups, I'm like, dude, just give me a damn break. Like, now you're just complaining to complain. So I, I don't know, Woody. I think it's a fine line between – you have. To, I feel like you have to be upset at yourself when, when things don't go wrong. As you were mentioning earlier, for example, like not winning tournaments. But if you're constantly berating yourself and just beating yourself up and saying you're not good enough and how you should have done better, it, it's going to cause more harm than good, especially at the end of tournaments, just like Hatton. Is, is he not? No doubt. No doubt. If, if, if you want to – if you ever want to – because I know you're doing a lot of teaching now, T-Dub, and you're going to teach a lot of kids. If you ever want to tell a kid who not to mimic, have them not mimic Terrell Hatton. Because first off, he's going to get that 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 reputation where nobody's going to want to play with him either. To be honest with you, you guys have all, we've all played with somebody that's a wine bag, right? No doubt, Scotty Scheffler had to oh, deal with it yesterday. Yeah, every shot is oh, poor pitiful me, and I got this bad break, I got that. Nobody likes to be around anybody that's negative. So where he's got that image where he thinks he's all that and funny, uh, the, the, I don't know. I guess the show's getting a little old for me. If he's hitting a shot, I mute. Okay, I mute my TV, or I don't. I turn away <laughs> and go get a drink or something else. I mean, he he he's irritating as all get out to me. I I wouldn't. If he was the only guy playing in the golf tournament, I wouldn't watch. I'll just tell you that. It's it's an interesting phenomenon. You know, I think a lot of, you know, really amateur players and, and bad players deal with the same thing that if they just had a little bit better attitude, I dealt with it too back when I played that I was so hard on myself that the tournaments where I just decided I'm going to have a good attitude this time, I actually played better. It wasn't, you know, a, a lot of players think that, you know, 
the, the shot determines your attitude. If your attitude uh, is good, sometimes it actually determines your shots. And it took me a long time to realize that too. But I see it a little bit of myself in Terrell Hatton. Obviously, he has way more talent than I had. Uh, a couple more guys. And if you didn't see this Arnold Palmer tournament and think we're being excessive going through guy after guy after guy, it's because... Every single one of these guys we're talking about had a legitimate chance to win this golf tournament. By the way, I want to talk about the broadcast for a second, T-Dub. We didn't get to really see any of Harris English shots until number thir- or number 14 after he made 13 straight birdies, T-Dub. I mean, by the way, Harris English was the only guy at the top of the leaderboard to go bogey-free yesterday. He birdied 14, like I just said, and then had another clutch birdie at 16. I want to talk about that putt real quick because it is a Ryder Cup year. I think that when Zach Johnson is making his Ryder Cup captain's picks, I think you got to look to certain situations like Harris English had at 16. He had a downhill left-to-right slider to still keep himself in the golf tournament and that is one of the scariest putts of all time from, you know, five to six feet, whatever that putt was. And he made it. And I was really impressed with the minerals that Harris English had. Obviously, you know, he just didn't get some putts to fall in the front nine. Otherwise, he would have been, you know, right up there with Kitayama. Turns out that he gets a great shot into 18, doesn't make the putt, you know, just another textbook par. But I was actually impressed with what I saw from Harris English, unlike a lot of these other big names up there. I was extremely impressed with Harris English. I thought that by previewing this show, I thought one of the guys who we probably wouldn't highlight a whole lot but had a great chance to win this tournament and probably actually kind of kicking himself that he probably should have is Harris English by only losing by one shot. Played with playing the same group with Roy McIlroy, goes out in pars his first 13 holes, which you're thinking, okay, he's just, just staying steady. He's keeping himself in the tournament. Hits a hold beautiful on, hold on. iron shot in there. Were you actually thinking that because I wasn't thinking about Harris English at all because they weren't showing him? I, I thought he, I, you see that name up there and you're thinking, okay, you're just waiting to see what's the next thing he's going to do. Because if he makes 18 pars, I don't think he's not going to have a chance to win because he only would have been about six. He would only have been six under at the time. But I'm thinking, okay, if he can get to 15, once, once he got to 12, he was going to be able to birdie 12. I thought he would have had a better chance, but he ended up hitting it in the front bunker and then ended up only making a par. But after he hit that shot in the 14, I'm thinking, okay, especially after Rory bogeyed that hole as well. I'm thinking, okay, there's a little bit of something going here. Then he missed, what was that, about a, a 20-footer or so, 16-footer on, on 15. If he was would have been able to make that, but it would have been able to do even a little bit more. But, but yeah, I, I think one of the points you made earlier, Sam, is great about Harris English potentially being a pick for the Ryder Cup team. I think that he has – one of maybe the most underrated swings in the game of golf. I think it's one of the most textbook fundamental swings of our generation, in all honesty. And he gained over two shots approach to green yesterday and gained shots off of the tee. The thing that Harris will be kicking himself was he, he lost almost a full shot around the green. So if he just could hit one or one or two chips a little bit closer, Woody, he would have been able to propel himself into, into a playoff with Kitty Yama. So I think Harris English is one of those guys, Woody, that we don't talk about a whole lot. He's been pretty streaky over his career. But when he plays, when he starts playing some solid golf, it can be really, really good golf. True, very true. Uh, we got caught up yesterday, at least the network does. What they always do? It's going to be the Rory show. Once, 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 uh, Kenny Ama got it going side. Well, I think triples nine. Everybody just kind of wrote him off, and uh, I thought, well, now wait a minute. You know, everybody just it was what was everybody seven eight seven eight 
and uh, good good call by uh, Azinger. Azinger knows that golf course so well. He said, "Hey, somebody get to nine, they can win the golf tournament." And Rory got <laughs> to nine by thirteen, Woody, with that twenty-five yeah, yeah. footer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they he thought he thought nine was the number early on in that golf tournament, and I thought, "Wow, that's a pretty good call that he made because, well, like I said, he knows that golf course so well, and and. As you look at Harris English, if I was if I was Zach Johnson, you're darn right he'd be on my radar for sure because um, he's a grinder. He's a he's a he's a competitor. Is that that's probably the best word for him? He doesn't get the accolades he deserves because he is really really good ball striker. He's just kind of that boring golfer. They don't want to make a big deal about him, and and obviously made 13 straight pars. You know, before he bought, birdies 14. Um, but that's what you do on a hard golf course, guys. That's that's the guy that it's the tortoise or the hare. You know how that goes. Uh, give me the plotter. Give me the guy that just kind of, uh, yeah, I'm just going to make pars. I'm going to make pars. I'm going to let everybody else back up. Tiger used to go out and bury people. Jack Nicklaus used to go out and wait for the other guy to screw up, believe it or not. That's what Jack was best at. Tiger was dominant. Um he won tournaments by such big numbers. Jack Nicholas did not. He literally waited for the other guy to falter. Nicholas was probably watching that yesterday going, oh, my gosh. You know, I wish I could have been a mouse in the room with him watching that tailgate. That's what he was thinking of all those guys stepping on themselves. But uh, Harris English, you're right. Yeah, he'd be on my team. Let's talk about Rory now that we talked about all the other guys. Rory, like I just said, made the 25-footer to get to 9-under and take the solo lead at 13. All of a sudden, all these guys drop back to Rory, then he makes a birdie. He's in the solo lead. What happens the very next shot? Rory McIlroy cost himself the tournament on 14, in my opinion. He slipped on the tee shot. Now, sometimes you can't control that. A little bit of bad luck, but he does pull the iron shot uh, off the tee on the part 3 14th in the far left short bunker, like not even the green side bunker next to the pin, but the far, far short uh, short bunker um, to the left. And he's lucky it didn't plug over there, but ends up making bogey there. Then he hit his drive way left and hits the tree on 15, uh, then hits it, you know, hits the like kind of worm burner out to the right, ends up, uh, you know, having trouble on 15, as well, so he bogeys 14 and 15, but then he comes back to putt birdie at 16. And then my favorite part of this tournament, guys, Rory McIlroy launches an eight iron up into the stratosphere on 18, hits it to about, what, 15 feet, uh, maybe even less than that. And Azinger had one of his classic quotes. He said, the greats make these putts. They just do. And what did Roy McIlroy do? He missed it low side, guys, and loses the tournament by one shot. Uh, I just thought that that was interesting and a fitting way uh, to end this golf tournament, T-Dub. Yeah, it was It was actually 10 feet, 6 inches. It was a it was pretty damn close shot. And what was funny about it is that it was essentially the same line that two of Tigers makes on 18 to win was essentially that line. So it's, if, if you're a historian of golf, you've seen that putt. How many ever times? So you can go out there, especially in practice rounds, you're hitting that putt to see how much it breaks, but it was pretty common to see a lot of people during the course of, 
of yesterday's round, missed that putt low for whatever reason and, and missed it on that right side. And that's exactly what Rory did. And so let's take into consideration, guys. Obviously, Rory was playing exceptionally well at the end of last year, and, the, and he won over in, uh, in Dubai at the start of this year over Patrick Reed. But the last two events that, that were elevated events, he finished 32nd and 29th. So wasn't necessarily playing his quote-unquote best golf going into this tournament. It was just a course that he, he had loved and played here so exceptionally well. His worst finish in his nine times of this course was 27th. So getting on a course that he's familiar with, but yet still, Woody, I just don't think that he had uh, has every single uh, toolbox, every single tool in his toolbox ready to roll. And I think we saw a little bit of that on 14 because that iron shot that he hit into that bunker, which was about 30 yards off from where it needed to be, maybe even more, that's just not a shot we see from Rory when he's tw- uh, swinging on all cylinders. It, it obviously it was the wrong club for sure. And even he was even quoted as saying that if I wish I would have known I'd taken the lead on there, I wouldn't have hit that shot. Okay, Here's that exact well. quote, Woody. Interesting insight here from Woody. He said on 14 green, he didn't know that he'd never looked at the leaderboard until 14 yep. green. And at that point he felt like he was trailing and had to make something happen. That's stupidity on his part, right? Yeah, I, I again, I'm telling you guys, I just don't see anybody that stays focused anymore. I mean, those you guys were talking about. Oh man, like I said, beginner 101. Um, some guys don't like to look at a leaderboard. Why I don't know. I mean, if you know where you are in a golf tournament, that, that's where I I want to be there. Okay, I mean, I want to know exactly what the other guy makes, so I know what I got to do to win. Um, that that's why that decision was so bad, so bad. He was trying to force hook an eight iron to a back left pin. Again, he not near enough golf club, in my opinion. He's trying to hit a shot that he doesn't need to hit, and he's telling you after the golf tournament, "Well, I just didn't know I was in the lead." Man, I wouldn't admit it that. I would have I would have just said, Man, I just made a bad golf swing at the wrong time is what I would have probably said. I sure as hell wouldn't have told everybody I wasn't paying that good of attention. So if you look at the shot, it's like T Dub was saying, You too, Sam. That shot wasn't even close, gentlemen. That that bunker is a long ways from the green. It wasn't the green side bunker, as you guys said. Now, give him credit because the bunker shot he hit was fabulous to get it in there. What he get about fifteen feet past the hole, but that was unbelievably good bunker shot. That's what's so stupid about this, gentlemen. They can hit such great golf shots on, like almost on a whim, but then they hit some of the stupidest golf shots I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know that they're all technical. I think they're just mental mistakes they make. And that's why I say they're all in a fog. Somebody's got to prove to me that they're willing to pay the price to be dominant. I don't see it in this generation, gentlemen. It's got to be some kid coming up that's maybe still in the womb. No doubt about it. And I think we need to pump the brakes on Tiger comparisons, whether it's what Rom did this week or what Rory did this week. Let's pump the brakes on Tiger comparisons and just talk about those top three guys. Rom, Scheffler, and Rory in that order is how I would rank those guys. I think it's going to be tough for Rory, uh, you know, moving forward this year just because he hasn't in those majors done it in, in forever since 2014, guys. I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch as far as he goes. Let's wrap up Bay Hill uh, here, guys. I mean, Kurt Kitayama. 
So obviously he a triple bogeys number nine and hits it, you know, one inch left of the cart path there. Kind of a bad break that that is considered out of bounds. You would think that the fence to the left of the bush would be considered out of bounds, but nope. Left of the cart path was out of bounds. He ends up making triple. But then all of a sudden, after making a few pars right after that hole, Kitayama somehow has a one-shot lead headed into 15 at eight under par, and seven guys at that time were at seven under, and like we said, he hit the shot of the day on 17, ends up having the minerals to make that putt, but we haven't really talked about 18. He overcooked his his little draw that he likes to hit off the tee box, overcooked it into the left rough, and on 18, if anyone doesn't know uh, 18 at Bay Hill, I don't know how you don't after watching Tiger for so many years, but that green runs front left to back right with water all down the right side. And I thought that he was very prudent and made a very smart and smart play and executed it, guys, that he played, number one, played the flyer correctly or whether he thought it was or wasn't going to jump. He played that correctly. He said what they asked him what his thought process was on that second shot. And he just said, I just wanted to put it on the green somewhere and give myself an opportunity to two putt. And boy, did he two putt. What do you have, like over 50 feet Right there on eighteen on on eighteen green guys, and he hits that putt up there, literally where the ball is hanging over the edge. The number I, I honestly think that all three of us could have made that putt for three point six million dollars. Maybe the only putt that I could make for three point six million dollars, but I could have made that one. That was impressive to me that Kirk Kitayama hit that lag putt in that situation. T Dub, maybe one of the greatest lag putts of all time. I mean, how that putt did not fall in is still boggling my mind. Like, I, I still watch it, and I'm like, it, it's got to fall in, and it just stays there. And I, 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 it's literally the shortest mark putt I've ever seen in my entire life, and it will it will hold as the record for the shortest putt <laughs> ever marked. Mark a shorter you can, putt. It is literally not possible. I don't even know how when he put his ball back to mark it, it didn't fall in the hole because of gravity. But I, I think one thing that, that's not being talked about that I think Kitayama deserves a lot, a lot of credit for is he made that hit that awesome iron shot in the 17 and made that putt and had the great putt on 18. It came after an absolutely horrible three putt on 16. I mean, absolutely horrible. Hit a horrible first putt. He was about what? It was about 55 feet from the hole. So it was a long putt, but hit it about 10 feet past the hole. I mean, it was just not good. Then the next putt wasn't a very good one either. So Woody, I think a lot of that comes down to or one of the things we're not giving any credit for us. He had the pressure when he needed it, but just, Less than a whole later, he did the exact opposite of what he needed to do, so he was able to rebound from it a lot. I think we got to give Kitayama a lot of credit there and just say that, man, this guy has some internal fortitude that uh, you don't see going around. And I know, Woody, you're, you're talking a lot about this generation that can't keep the focus, and I completely agree with you on a lot of those avenues. But Kitayama definitely showed that he has something there deep down to just brush the bad moments off and let it go. Because I guarantee you something, Woody, if Terrell hadn't a three put of 16 the way that Kitayama did, there's no way that he would have been able to birdie 17 and make that par on 18. Well, you're right, and that's why that's why Terrell Hatton ended up holding the trophy. Uh, that, that young man, when you look at what he's gone through to get to that level, okay, that shows you that determination. Uh, uh, anytime I see somebody that's worked that hard to get to that level, when they win and when they win the golf tournament, I'm going to say he won the golf tournament. The other guys kind of helped, but no, 
he went out and made the birdie that nobody else seemed that they could do. And then the the great pars we set on 18. You know, the only thing that worried me about when he went to mark that ball, I got to tell you, you're so nervous and you, your body's so amped up. I was afraid somebody on television was going to question how he marked it. Because if yep. you notice, he put the coin. The coin had some room between it and the ball, okay? Yep. Which it needed to because if he even touches that ball, it's going to fall in the hole because I've never seen a ball hang on the edge, the top edge like that. Now, by the way, Woody, nowadays it is not a penalty if you accidentally touch your ball on the greens. But, yes, I I agree with you. I knew it was, but I still – it was nervy as heck to me. I would have really thought long and hard. I know he was doing the right thing to let Hovland putt. But for goodness sake, I mean, the people in the galleries are good enough now. If he taps in, he's a winner, then Hovland could do his thing. I wouldn't have marked the ball is what I'm saying. There's no way I would have had the gut to reach down and put a coin down. <laughs> but it does show me, guys, it does show me he had a lot of control of his emotions, that he was able to first mark the ball and to be thinking, that I'm going to mark the ball so Victor can finish the hole before I do. That tells me he's in the moment, okay? He's focused. He's 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 right there. He knows exactly what is going on. So, whereas everybody else would probably look around and go, "Oh, well, he's you know, I hate to see him win. He's just you know another one of these many many of the many tour players, as we say, they're really good. Now, good for him. Now, let's see what he does when he builds from here. You know, because we all know where the tour is going. It's going to these uh, smaller fields, no cut, a number of events, not the whole year, but that's going to be a real challenge for a lot of people to be able to break through and be one of those top players. And that's why I like these guys like like, like Kurt, that he, he might pull it off. He might just be that top 80 type player like Max Soma was two years ago. You know, Max is that top, top 80 guy now. So, that's great for those guys. It just makes those other guys below them have to work a little bit harder. No doubt, Woody. Bring up a lot of good points to wrap up Bay Hill here, T-Dub. I got to ask you, was Kitayama winning and kind of the big names dropping back in this tournament a good look or a bad look for the PGA Tour this week after all the uh, news that has come out that we'll get to after the break? I think it was a good thing. I just think that it had more to do with the field being as loaded as it was up top. And Kitayama winning it, I think – is a really good story because it shows that, oh, hey, just because you, you get these, you're going to eventually go to these no-cut limited field events that, that oh, they're just the top guys are just going to win every single week. And Kitayama proves that's not the case, even though he kind of is becoming a top player. He's, what, moved up to 19th in the world or something like that? So it also shows that if you can play good in these elevated events, you're just going to keep moving up and what everyone's talking about, earning your way. So, I, I would I would say that Kitty I'm winning was probably a, a good thing in all retrospect. If it would have just been, uh, let's say, the opposite, or if he would have won by four or five shots, I don't think it would have been as good or entertaining by any stretch. But with this being arguably the most entertaining tournament of the year so far, and with it not being necessarily a household name winning it, I think is actually probably the best thing the Turk could have asked for, in my opinion. Well, I've only got one beef about that golf tournament, and it's not just this one. It's the, the past years that I've watched it. You know, when Arnold Palmer made the cardigan sweater popular, it wasn't skin tight. They need to give they need to give a bigger sweat. Okay. 
Do you think they only have one size? They got to have multiple sizes because Kitayama's sweater is not fitting, you know, a Harry Higgs type body. Well, and, and don't get me wrong. These guys don't know what a cardigan is. They wouldn't wear it. They, they, they go, what is this dumb thing? You know, I don't, you know, but if you're going to wear a cardigan sweater, you got to wear something with a little bit of uh, size to it. That's what the cardigan sweater is. Look at Arnold Palmer and his cardigan sweaters that he made popular. <laughs> I'm picking on it, but I, I can't. I'm, I, I watch golf now just for the entertainment and, uh, I think to answer y'all's question, though, when I got off on a tangent about a cardigan sweater, I think it was good. I think it's good for golf, for people to see that, the, the you know what, the David can beat the Goliath. That's what's so cool about golf. And there's no, there's nothing to keep all the Davids from qualifying and trying to beat the Goliath. It's out there. It's an open type of thing for people to work their way to the PGA Tour. This young man did it. He's ever going to win his life, probably. Maybe not. Hopefully not. Maybe he's going to win a lot more. But right this week, good for him. I was happy to see him win the golf tournament. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Woody, I meant to ask you earlier. What do you think of his golf swing? He's a golf swing that we don't see very often. What do you think of it? You know, I'll tell you, I read something that I was pretty cool about. You know who his caddy is? He used to work for Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, that's right. No, I talked about that. That is right, yeah. I I talked about that. I think that had a big thing to do with yesterday um, because because of the fact that Bryson won there a couple years ago. He had the caddy had some experience, right? No doubt about it. It's a great story because once Bryson and him had, Parted ways. This guy thought he was done caddying. He didn't have any interest in caddying anymore. He went back to abandoned dunes. He started a little company that was a shuttle service that ran people back and forth from the airport to that that you know that conglomerate that they've got out there. One of the neatest places I've ever seen. But anyway, he was happy. He was caddying there as it was just you know the schmucks from all over the country that come to play golf there didn't have a care in the world. But he met. Kadiyama is a, how do you say it? Kad, had it I always call Kitty-yama, it like anyway, a Like a cat, like Kitty-yama. a kitty. Kitty like Yep. Kitty He met his brother, and his brother told Kitty about him, said, Hey, you need to talk to this guy. This guy needs to be your caddy. So, long story short, they ended up getting together and the rest is history. But I love the fact he's got this guy because one of the things that Scott said about his golf swing, he said, The only thing I'm worried about is you got to get it better with his driver. And that's only that's the only club that his golf swing gets. I think there's too much movement for the driver in his golf swing. I know that swing he's making, guys, is a drawing type of golf swing. And explain that because he, he, what do you explain that to the listeners? Draw a picture for him because he kind of picks it up outside, and then what does he do after he does, that? He does, and then he lays the club down. He lays the club off, which is what all good players do. You can watch it from the, anybody you ever watch play golf. The good players. Sam Snead was one of the few people I saw that was actually on top of the golf ball that was a phenomenal player, but he was a phenomenal athlete. Most of the good golfers are, are laying the club down, the, the plane of the golf swing, as we say, laid down so they can rotate their body and get through the ball. What he's got to realize, the problem with a draw, guys, and the, a draw is fine with an iron because the swing is not as fast. The speed of the golf swing is not as fast. It gives you time to control the face moving through the golf ball and hitting soft draws with irons 
is not that difficult. The problem with the driver is you increase the speed. It's the fastest club in the bag, which means it's more difficult to be able to time the club face squaring into the golf ball. Okay. So that his caddy, this Ted Scott was talking, said, this is something we're working on. We're going to work on the fact that I don't like him hitting a draw with the driver. I will tell you this, gentlemen, if he can get to where he gets to where he trusts a ball that's straight or even a little cut shot off the tee, oh, well, let me tell you something. Kitty Amma's going to be around for a long, a long time because he can putt and hit his irons really good. So long story short, yes, I like that golf swing, Sam. I've always said the golf swing is always better if it's shallowing into the golf ball than it ever is getting steep. Steep will kill you in golf. Shallow is your friend. No, no doubt about it, Woody. By the way, it, it's uh, Tim Tucker. Ted Scott went to went oh. to uh, Scotty Scheffler from uh, Bubba, oh, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I got yeah, their Tim names Tucker. Backwards. They sound yeah. they sound Tim alike, Tucker. but yeah, Tim Tucker uh, definitely helped Kitty Yama coming on the stretch. Uh, T-Dub, to answer the question that I asked you, basically, I enjoyed this golf tournament. The last couple weeks with Liv and then this, it, it seems like a couple ones for the good guys, right? And we heard a lot of, you know, smack talk from people from the, you know, PGA side or PGA point of view, um, uh, talking about, you know, how many times Charles Howell has won on tour. And then I, I thought it was a good, uh, good week this week to have Kitty Yama kind of take down Goliath. I thought it was very entertaining coming down the stretch and uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Woody, it's time to hit a break, uh, but before we hit a break, can you please tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank? Oh, you bet. You know, uh, our, our buddies at Quail Creek Bank, uh, we were talking about it earlier this year, where their 2023, they think it's going to be a really big year. It'll be their 51st year in business, so that tells you family-owned bank that's around for 51 years guys they got to be really good at what they do and they are and one of the reasons they're that great a bank is their person how they are person to person if you call you talk to a person you go in and want to talk to somebody there's always a smiling face quail creek bank will be around for a long time i think it needs to be a long time with you being a member of their banking community go by 122nd in north may if you do, they will make you a part of their family, and it will be something you do not regret. No doubt about it. Quail Creek Bank is the best bank in Oklahoma City. Stay with us. After the break, we talk college, golf, OU, and OSU have been in action. OSU is actually in action right now. We'll update you on that, and then we will get into the changes that the PGA Tour has made that – Really, the news broke while we were doing our podcast last week, and we know a whole lot more about it now, uh, and we'll update you guys on that. So stay with us here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. 
It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we're back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you. And guys, we got some other subjects in the game of golf that are very interesting. Number one, go to golfoklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news. You know what? local golf news means in the state of Oklahoma this time of year. That means college golf. And we have OSU in action today. We'll get to them in a second. But last week we were talking about OU's tournament at Southern Highlands. And Illinois ends up getting the win at Southern Highlands in Las Vegas. Texas finishes second. Pepperdine third. North Carolina fourth. This was an absolutely loaded tournament. Uh, Patrick Welch ends up finishing Tied for ninth uh, in the golf tournament. He led the Sooners, and, and the Sooners finished fifth. They got off to a rocky start, did shoot 279 in the last round to devolt themselves up into fifth. Um, by the way, Brian Stark, some of you OSU fans might be wondering how he played in his first tournament as a Longhorn. He finished tied for 22nd, uh, shot 72, 68, 74. Uh, so he Kind of, you know, an, a so-so start for him, but he did, uh, you know, have a couple counting scores on a team that finished second in a loaded tournament. Illinois, Mike Small, like I said, one of the greatest coaches in college golf. And then Sam Bennett uh, and the Texas A&M Aggies, they finished eighth place. And then the Sooners went on to play uh, Texas A&M in a match play match. And Texas A&M, as far as the varsity goes, beat OU uh, 3-2. and two. Bennett won over uh, Patrick Welch, the cross-handed bandit, three and one. Uh, Goodman of OU lost four and two. Summy lost two and one. Campbell Jr. won five and four, and Hallbrook won one up. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting, you know, guys. We we talked to uh, Ryan Hibble a little bit about it that they were going to go do that and try to fit in some match play matches before the national championship. I don't think you take a whole lot in, out of it, you know, as far as, oh, Texas A&M is obviously better because they, you know, beat OU's best five versus their best five in one match play match one day. Uh, by the way, OU, they did have, they did bring their entire bench and OU ended up uh, winning uh, as far as the bench goes because their their bench dominated the A&M bench. But I, I just think it was one of those things, T-Dub, where, Hibble just wanted to get those guys, you know, acclimated to uh, a little bit of match play before they're going to see it later on in the year. And you did see some nice stuff from Campbell Jr. and Hallbrook that you might be able to use later in the year, right? Yeah, I just think that at this point, it's more about getting the match play experience because as we talked about numerous times, it's ever since they implemented the, the match play tournament for it being the national championship, there just hasn't been that many other tournaments that have gotten into it. And there's a different mindset that you need to have. You need to be able to be able to know what your opponent, whenever your opponent makes a mistake, to be able to take a different line off the tee box or to take a less aggressive line into a pin. And sometimes it's better to play for par. Or a lot of times in match play, you can also take risks that you wouldn't take 
and stroke play. You can try to hit shots out of a hazard. You couldn't because instead of making a, a quad or a nine on a hole, you're going to only go one down. So, Woody, there's just a completely different mindset you need to. And I think that unless you get yourself in that environment and have those situations where it is meant to, you can't like you can think about the situations, but you can't necessarily really create them in a competitive atmosphere and in competitive atmosphere against another competitive team like Texas A&M unless you do uh, events like this, right? You can only practice so much, you know. Then you got to get your your feet dirty, as they say. You got to get in the fire. So, uh, you know, when Coach Hibble was telling us about that idea that they're going down to Whispering Pines down there to play those guys, I thought, man, that's brilliant. So, um, we should not be shocked that 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 Hibble is thinking outside the box, so to speak, and trying to get his guys as prepared as he can possibly get them. For that show and uh gone once it went to match play i don't know how you guys can have any favorites you can have a guy you can have teams that you think are better than others but when it comes to what sam said it's just one day they played that one round down there against each other texas a&m won but if they played 10 times i think oh you would win seven so that's just my two cents on that i don't know but i think it's great they're practicing it and they're getting better at it i hope no doubt. I, I do think it's a it could be a confidence builder for some guys like a Sam Bennett who won the USAM last summer and then is obviously playing for Texas A&M. Um, I think it could be a confidence booster for a guy that hasn't really popped yet in this college season and really won a whole lot this year. I think that you know that you could take some confidence away from it, but I agree with both of you guys that you know it's just one day of match play. Speaking of college golf, T Dub. Let us know how the Cowboys are doing in Cabo. Yeah, an absolutely loaded field down at Cabo. You have Vanderbilt, the number one team ranked as playing. They're currently leading. They're at five under par. They're, the second round is what they're playing currently. And you have teams like Texas Tech, who's second, Arizona State, third, Stanford, fourth. And in the country are all in this field. Like I said, just absolutely loaded. OSU is currently tied eighth right now. They're tied or they're plus 13 through. They're about through five or eight holes. They're actually one under par on the day, which is fairly impressive. For some reason, they had to play with uh, only four players yesterday. Uh, their number one man who was supposed to play, Dylan Stewart, did not play. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but, uh, you know, Woody, whenever you have to, you're supposed to be able to throw one score out, and you're not able to do that, and you just have to take four players, and whoever gets it done, it's kind of hard to be able to contend against one of the uh, toughest fields of the year. Yeah, I think that, that's what it was that like playing with one arm behind your back. Um yeah, you know, who knows? Hopefully, he maybe just got some food poisoning, something like that, or he's under the weather with sick. Not, nothing major like a, a back or something went wrong with his body, other than the fact that maybe he, got, he is in Mexico. You know what I mean? So, uh, who knows? But, yeah, it, it's almost impossible when you when you you got four guys going against that field. So, uh, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, it's all building up to May and June, guys. That's what it's about. No doubt about it. T-Dub, who did uh, OSU end up throwing out there as, as those four guys? Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Brian Stark leaving to go to Texas. I, I know that they need some better play from guys like Rasmus, Niergaard, Peterson, and Bo Jin. It, are those two of the guys in that four? So they took uh, Dylan Stewart was playing one, Jonas Baumgartner was playing two, Bo Jin was playing three, Leo Oyo was playing four, and Jordan Wilson was playing five. 
Jordan Wilson of Edmund North. So Rasmus Niergaard Peterson, I had heard things about him possibly, you know, having some injury issues. It sounds like he uh, that some of that might be true leading leading into uh, this spring season. Jonas Baumgartner is another guy that uh, you know had a solid year last year when we saw him in the national championship. Leading up to the national championship, he uh, could have the potential to be their you know kind of catalyst. They just need to find that one guy, you know, T Dub and Woody. That that kind of, you know, takes the leadership role after losing a guy like Brian Stark, right? Well, we talked about this yesterday on the radio show. It's that whenever you, in the last year, they expected to have Takara coming back on the team, who's now currently on live, and they expected to have Brian Stark, who's currently uh, playing for the University of Texas. So two spots that you really couldn't really prognosticate that was going to be available, especially for, you could expect if you had two walk-ons who decide to leave, but two of your best players, two really catalysts for your team, they're, they're just essentially put behind the eight ball. So, yeah, Woody, I, this is why I think that OSU fans, they have to be patient and give them a little bit of time. I don't think that you can expect to lose your top two players and, and or two of your top players and then instantly come back and contend for a national championship. It's not realistic. And, and, and plus, it's such a shock. You know, I'm sure Alan Bratton, the coach there, was he didn't know this was going to happen. He what do you talk to him after the national championship right after the fact and he kind of broke the news to me that Chikara was coming back this was before Liv was ever even entered the picture he was expecting Chikara to come back and then to lose Stark on top of that yeah that was a big surprise to him he had no clue well and so he didn't have time to prepare for it and and you know that's what coach Hibble was talking about that portal uh, you know I, we got mixed feelings about it is, is it good I, got its high points but this is a low point when when you got now Chikar didn't go to through the portal and go somewhere else he went to play pro golf but still it, these poor coaches don't have but four scholarships guys already that's all they got to work with is four full four full scholarships and there's five guys that you got to have play let alone then you got to keep maybe a six seven and eight guy happy so you got something to work with so uh, I just you know, fans are tough, though, Sam. You guys, even we both know this. I mean, they don't want to hear excuses. They just want to know why OSU isn't contending for a national championship. So if you do your homework, you'll see why they're not. But uh, they'll get back there. They're too good. They'll, they'll figure it out. It's just too bad that the way it all went down. No doubt. The culture there is too good uh, to fail. But this year, I'm not so sure that they're going to finish first or even second in the Big 12 tournament this year considering how well uh texas a&m uh, texas tech has been playing excuse me and, and ou is kind of finding their stride a little bit as well winning in puerto rico texas tech by the way we didn't mention this talking about bay hill ludwig aberg had a great week uh texas tech's one man is out there you know top 13 headed into Sunday at Bay Hill. Uh, guys, that shows how much talent Texas Tech has. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, headed into regionals in the national championship. Uh, guys, let's talk about from college golf. Uh, let's talk about the GOAT. Let's talk about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is not going to play in the Players' Championship this week. I thought we might see him at Bay Hill, and obviously, you know, that would be probably a better course fit than TPC Sawgrass, but maybe Bay Hill happened too soon after the Genesis, and uh, now we obviously hear that he's not playing in the players either. 
Guys, to me, this is not good news. This is a little bit surprising to me after what we heard from Joey LaCava after the Genesis saying he had that energy on the 72nd hole. It it looked like to Joey LaCava that he did hold up the way he needed to. But, I mean, T-Dub, we look at, you know, Tiger leading up to major championships or leading up to this Masters, he has to get competitive rounds under his belt, T-Dub, and he's not going to be able to. I think next time we'll see him tee it up is is at Augusta. Oh, there's there's literally zero doubt that that's going to be the next time that we see him tee it up because he's already not going to play the players. Then we only have, after that, we have the Valspar. He's not going to play that. He's not going to play the match play. He's not eligible to play the match play, and he's not going to play uh, the Valero Texas Open the week before the Masters. So, yeah, without a doubt, the next chance we're going to see him is at Augusta National. And to me, it's just it. I expected that we would see him at, at either we would have saw him last week at Bay Hill, or we would have saw him this upcoming week at Sawgrass. But you know, the more I look back at the schedule, the more it's really not. I shouldn't be as shocked as I am because I mean, there's only been we've only what two or three weeks removed since Riviera. So, I mean, everything Tiger's gone through, that's not a whole lot of time to be able to recover. I would have loved being able to see him. And we we talked about it at, at, at nauseum yesterday on the radio show about how he just needs a tournament reps and he needs to be able to build up to his success to be able to win. We went, we went through 2018 whenever he came, was coming back from that back injury and all the close finishes that he had to have, Woody, before he was able to finally win at the church championship. And so for us uh, fans wanting him to potentially win another major, or just win another tournament, it is a little bit of a letdown knowing that his body probably isn't going to be good enough to play without having a month's break between tournaments. No doubt. I mean, this is what we, you guys, we've been, I think we all just, uh, maybe we are living in a, a, a dream world thinking that he was going to be able to play either at Bay Hill or the you know, tournament players championship. I, we can always hope, but this this is it's just telling to me. It tells me that we're going to see uh, Eddie. We'll see him again at Augusta. Uh, of course, the PGA will be the next thing that that will come up pretty rapidly. It'll be in May. Um, will we see him play another event? I don't think so. Uh, the way it, the way this thing is uh, kind of unfolding, guys, it looks like to me we're going to see him uh, four four majors, and uh, <laughs> that's going to be it. I, I just I'm worried now. Yeah, and it's it's not good for Tiger Woods considering the fact that he's 47 years old, really only has 20 more majors, including this Masters, left uh, to win historically. I mean, I'm even giving Tiger an extra year than Phil had. Not to mention the fact that his body is broken down, and it's all trial and error, guys. And I think that. Yes, he may have looked okay at the Genesis, made the cut, played better than he played at the Genesis back in 2018 when he was making his comeback. But Tiger, after playing in the Genesis in 2018, guys, he played in the Honda after that. He played in the Valspar after that. All, you know, and then finished, what, 30th or something at Augusta that year in 2018 and then started contending in majors after that. But he realized that he had to get those competitive rounds under his belt. And so that's where... It it bothers me a little bit, or it's a it's a bad sign a little bit that Tiger, when he was making that comeback after the back fusion, knew that he had to get competitive rounds under his belt. That means that this is the body, and the body's not right yet, T-Dub. No, and it may never be right. And to, to an extent to where he could play, like even back-to-back tournaments, I don't think there's any way in hell that he would, he'll ever be able to do something like that again. And now, 
anymore with, with the majors being so scheduled close together. That's one of the reasons why he wasn't able to play the U.S. Open last year because it was only, what, three or four weeks after the PGA Championship. Whenever you have it that condensed, it can be hard to make sure, for him to make sure his body's right. And so, it, it, you, especially you look at it now, and it's like there's going to be no way that he's going to be able to play a tournament between any of the majors, I would think. And and so that that also just keeps going into the fact that he's going to need these these reps because – to be able to contend in major championship, you're going to have to play good golf for, for all four days, at least solid golf and not have uh, blow-up days. And, and what we saw at Riviera was he showed some good signs, especially with his iron play. But even around the greens and pretty much two out of the four days putting, it, his putting was horrible. He missed a lot of five- to six-footers, and just the consistency was not there even when he had his, his signs of life. So I, I think, Woody, just the fact that he's not going to be able to get enough reps to be able to get that consistent feeling to know that he can do it for 72 holes, Unless there's just an absolute perfect storm of occasions to, to make it to make it a situation where he would be able to potentially win a major championship, I don't know how he's going to be able to do it. I don't see it, but I did see some good news. And whether it's true or not, because we haven't heard Tiger say it, we heard Jack Nicklaus say it, that he is going to play some on the Champions Tour when he turns 50, and he's going to take a cart, which I love hearing that because, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a cart. Many Christmas. I mean, he, he's got really only one leg, and he's got a, a, a bad back. Uh, if that guy doesn't deserve a cart, who does? You know, so maybe the competitor inning that we get to watch when he turns fifty, if he goes out there and really wants to compete against those guys, that'll be fun to watch because I think he might win ten majors out there if he gets focused up and really wants to play. So. Um, it was good to hear that because I thought we were about done watching Tiger Woods, except maybe on these few majors we're going to get to see in this uh, deal they're starting next year where they're, you know, the nighttime golf where they're hitting balls into a simulator and then putting and chipping. So uh, I'm excited about it. Jack Nicholas filling the beans. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, to kind of cap this off, it is a little disappointing, I guess I would say, considering the fact that, when you think about Tiger Woods, you think about, you know, 99 to 2002 Tiger Woods, where he was so dominant, he literally had a better career than Rory McIlroy. I think we have to temper our expectations with this Tiger Woods, uh, you know, and obviously never bet against the GOAT, but at the same time, it's just hard to do when your body is not right and... Guys, it's just going to be hard uh, for Tiger Woods to ever contend in a major championship again. Um, guys, let's transition a little bit. Uh, you know, t Tiger has been in the news a little bit uh, over this past week. The PGA Tour changes came out while we were doing our podcast last week. So let's talk a little bit about those changes. Jay Monahan told the PGA Tour members that field sizes for the players and the three FedEx Cup playoff events would remain unchanged. The fields for the eight other designated events will include the top 50 players from the prior year's FedEx Cup points list through the playoffs, the top 10 players from the current year's points list who aren't otherwise eligible, the top five players who aren't otherwise eligible, who can earn points in the tournaments between the designated events, and the winners of the current year full point events. And then you have the PGA Tour members in the top 
30 of the OWGR and the four sponsors exemptions will fill out the 70 to 80 man fields guys and by the way the huge news that came out of all this no cut next year in those eight elevated events T-Dub what are your initial thoughts on this well it's something that you just had to really process because it's been a pretty drastic change and with all the stuff that you had mentioned all the exemptions basically what it sounds like to me is they're all just going to be what the WGC event would have been had they not given all the exemptions to the Asian tour winner and the Latin American and all this stuff like that you know just to make it more global essentially what the WGCs want to be it's kind of what Greg Norman wanted to do back in the 1990s with the with the world tour is kind of what it sounds like and the, the biggest the, the, the two, few biggest things I took away from this because like I said there's just so much to unpack the, the, the sponsors is going to be the, the biggest thing I'm going to see from this going forward because if if they're not going to rotate what events are going to be elevated or designated, however you want to phrase it, and you're going to have, you know, like the Travelers Championship, who, who this week, who this year actually is going to get it, did you already have a tournament like the Rocket Mortgage Classic, who, who isn't going to have it, and are they ever going to get to be an elevated event? And you have tournaments like the Mexico Open, and then you have like the Team Championship in Zurich, you know, and so there's just, you know, so much of that money is what the, the tour is dependent on. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about the Honda Classic, then potentially not being a sponsor going forward. So will the Honda get to be an elevated event? Then you have the question of, well, are there going to be tournaments that are that are designated every single year? You're going to have the Bay Hill Memorial Genesis and then a couple of others. There's been Jack Nicholas, as Woody mentioned earlier, spilled the beans. He kind of spilled the beans on that, that Pebble Beach next year is going to be an elevated event as well. And they're not going to have the amateurs play on the weekend. So there's just a lot of changes that are going on through this deal. And, and Woody, the biggest thing that I don't like about it is, is that for example, at the waste management would Nick Taylor have been in the tournament had it been in this new format. And I don't believe that he would have been. And if that's the case, he finished second in the tournament. So then you have to ask yourself, what is a better way for, for the players who are not in those designated events to get there? Is it for them to be already in the tournament, and have a chance to win, or is it to play, Another event, which which clearly they want to get those other players who who are seventy one, however you want to phrase in that category, to play the tournaments that are not elevated to make those those fields end up better. But do those sponsors really care uh, about those those players? They want to see the Rory McIlroys, the Jordan Spieth, and all that at the end of the day. And I, I don't know, Woody. I just I think that there's it's going to create such a hierarchy. It, they did the right thing from a business perspective, trying to keep their top players. But it's not the things that they preached on a year ago about wanting to be competitive and earn your way. It's just I feel like they went a little bit opposite of the things that they were wanting to do uh, from that perspective. I think when we look at this, the the PGA Tour still wants live to go away. Uh, The biggest difference between these two tours, especially the more the PGA Tour changes their format, the biggest difference is the team element. And that's what Lib has been trying to sell all along is this team element. That's why they got Dustin Johnson and Kepka and a few of those guys to go, I believe, because they sold them on the idea, hey, you guys are going to own a team. That's not going to be like owning an NFL or an NBA team. Don't get me wrong, but you're going to own a team. You're going to have some money's coming in because of this team. Whether the PGA somehow, some way starts figuring that part out, if that does happen, guys, if all of a sudden we see the PGA Tour trying to kind of put a team thing formula together, wow, we have really seen this thing come full circle. But, 
you know what? If you if you wanted to, let, let's say you had an animal you really don't like, but you can't just go shoot them. You know what I mean? You can't do that. That's not, you can't do that. And so how do you make them go away? Well, you open the gate, you let them run off, or you don't feed and water them, and sooner or later they just pass away. So I think that the PGA Tour is kind of hoping they're a buzzard on a tree and they're watching this live and they're hoping that live can't hang on, and then they'll reevaluate how they want to do everything. But in the time that it takes, isn't it fun to know? Because you guys, if you're like me, every day you open up your iPads or whatever, you go to Golf News, you don't know what you're going to get, do we? <laughs> it's kind of no. fun, isn't it? It, it is It is fun, Woody. Now, I will say... To kind of simplify this down, you know, basically we've heard over this past year how the tour's top events have cuts and, and you know, it's 72 whole events with full fields and that's why it's better than live and why live is an exhibition. Well, that argument goes out the window now that they have eight tournaments, not just a, a couple tournaments like the WGCs. This is eight events, basically a full schedule for these guys. Um, or at least three-fourths of their schedule for the top guys. And basically what they are saying is we don't care about the opinion of the golf fan because the, the PGA Tour fans were saying, yeah, that's why we like the PGA Tour more. It, that should tell you that if you're a PGA Tour fan, your opinion never mattered. It's always been about the money. And to simplify this down, the PGA Tour guys – tried to play hardball in the beginning and now is killing their own product by disregarding elevated events. Reason why we hear Jack Nicholas talking about this, it's because he's pissed off that he had a terrible field at the Honda Classic at the Bear Trap, guys. That's why Jack Nicholas is involved in this. He doesn't want to see the Honda Classic in between two elevated events and then another elevated event. That's why no one played in the Honda Classic this year, um, but they have to keep the top players happy and that's why they're making changes like limited field you know no cut events but when you do that it is going to piss off your sponsors and now guys in my opinion the pga tour is behind the eight ball trying to appease not only the top players because if you lose top players you're in trouble but you're also in trouble if you lose these top sponsors like honda you know, and, and we've seen already that Live is sustainable by itself without, you know, making really any revenue. And so I think that the PGA Tour is in a really tough place. And my conclusion that I come to, T-Dub, is I can't believe that Jay Monahan still has a job. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been wondering that for really this entire time. But, you know, one thing, because we keep talking about the sponsors, and the, the, one, the, the big reason they said that they were going to go to no cut was is that so you can guarantee that the top players are for sure going to be there on the weekend. And I, I get that from a certain perspective. But my question is, is that like, how much does that actually increase the price tag? Because it versus the consequences that it actually has, because there's a certain thrill about, a, about making a Friday cut and there's incentives there. And we even had people on the, the golf channel talking about how the, the worst, one of the worst, bore, most boring times, the OPJ Tour season was Thursday, Friday of a WGC event because it essentially didn't matter. It was just the, the you had no consequences on if you played horribly or not. And at the end of the day, it to me it they tried to do so many different changes all at once, 
and and most of we all know why it is. It's combative to live. But I think that if they just would have made a couple of the events like this, for example, instead of making eight of them a limited field no cut events, let's just do four of them, and then have the other four like that. For example, I would like Riviera to be one of these events, so people have to start in the freaking tenth hole because I think it's an absolute travesty that that's the case. And so if you would have done it a couple of times, I think it would have been all right. But Woody, at the end of the day, it's uh, they're trying to. They want to say that they're doing all these things for all the players, but they're doing it essentially to make sure the guys like the Rory McIlroy's and the big names on the PGA Tour don't leave and, and go to live. They're trying to make sure that they have uh, what they want and what they and all these players talking about that they are, are happy with these changes to go into no cut. Why wouldn't they be happy with that? Because they're guaranteed to make a paycheck, right? Well, if, if if we owned the PGA Tour, guys, we'd be doing the same doggone thing because you don't want those guys leaving. You're right. I th- I don't. And think that's why they they're prioritizing be- the player over the sponsors because if they don't have oh. those core five guys, they're not going to have any sponsors anyways. Exactly, and 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 they 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 didn't think they were going to ever have to worry. They this didn't seem, you know, the the, the Dustin Johnsons or DeChambeau's, the Kepkas. Uh, they, they didn't. See him leaving. Okay, Cam Smith really caught him by surprise when he he wins the Players Championship, then this British Open or the Open Championship, and he bolts. So it it opened their eyes. They still got they still got the big hammer though, gentlemen. They always will have the big hammer because what they're doing is they're trying to get these tournaments to the theirs elevated and everything else. And they'll be darned if they're going to let those guys in. None of those live guys will ever see those golf terms because they aren't going to get world ranking points. They're not going to get a way to get into one of those events. I guess they would if they won the Grand Slam. It's one of our guys on that live tour won four, all four majors. I think that would be enough points that he would have enough where he could get into world ranking. But, I mean, honestly, it's going to be really tough, and they know that. That's what they're up to. That's why Monahan and Penny dropped dropped out. You know, saying, "Well, we're not part of this anymore." But they are too. They got their thumb on this deal, and they will always have their thumb on this deal. That's why when that court trial comes about, Sam, I think that they're 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 building away a pretty good case for Liv to say it is a monopoly. Yeah, they have a monopoly. Absolutely. Just to be just to be clear on what you're talking about, that the listeners might be getting lost here, and it's there's so many levels to this, so I understand. So let me simplify it with a Phil Mickelson quote, and he was talking about the PGA Tours TV deal. The TV deal quote is based on quality of field benchmarks based on OWGR to receive the full reported value. If they don't hit those benchmarks. The money gets reduced, I'm, and then Phil says, "I'm not sure if the if it's cumul- cumulative for all events or on a per event basis. And if Live were to receive points in the OWGR, the players uh, were ranked in the top 100. The tour, uh, the tour would not come close to hitting these benchmarks. You know, for instance, if." You know, Dustin Johnson or Joaquin Neiman or Cam Smith or uh, Taylor Gooch were all ranked where they should be. It would make the the strength of field for these PGA Tour events go down, and they and the PGA Tour would not hit these benchmarks. And I think that this is going to be talked about a lot once we hit this lawsuit in this trial or whatever it's going to be, where Liv is going to make the argument saying. 
not only are we not getting official world golf ranking points and you're costing these players money by doing that, but that aside, Jay Monahan and Keith Pelly were on the board when they decided not to give Liv official world golf ranking points, guys, and that means that the PGA Tour is basically making a, a monopolized decision on on you know what's best for the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour with the strategic alliance. By the way, whatever happened to the strategic alliance, the PGA Tour is making the DP World Tour even more of a feeder, feeder tour by doing what they're doing next year. And so it's just clear, uh, you know, to me at least, that the whole reason was never to uh, of the strategic alliance was never to propel the DP World Tour. It was to keep the Live Tour from gaining official World Golf ranking points. It was all a money based decision. And by the way, none of this had to do with politics or the the Saudi Arabian government. It all had to do with money. T Dub. Oh, I mean, it, it, you're, you're pretty much essentially right on, on all that. I think one thing that, that's really kind of cool about, or not cool, but crazy about what you're saying is, is that the best the strategic sponsor partnership is that, yeah, it's, so now it pretty much goes PJ Tour elevated event, then it goes PJ Tour, then it's going to go DP World Tour. So it's like, yeah, you're you're essentially what, double A in not that to case of the MLB? So, factors in there, it goes. Elevated event, live PGA Tour, then DP World Tour. They're the f- fourth best yeah. tour, technically. Well, yes, and I was just referring to how what they would have their partnership with the PGA Tour. But right. I think one thing that, that that has been like even Brandon Shambly talked about this on the Golf Channel, which I think was pretty crazy. That he even let this kind of slip. Is that and it was talked about a little bit at the players' meeting, and it really didn't get a whole lot talked about back at the uh, BMW Championship last year. Is the the potential of the PGA Tour losing its. Uh, a non-charitable or it's a non-charitable uh, partnership or what or contract, whatever you want to phrase it, and uh, then the, go the, into private here, equity. Here you go, T Dub. Here's the exact quote from Brandel. He said, "Will the ratings support the raised purses?" Question mark. If it doesn't, then you need private equity. If private equity comes in, then I wonder is the 501c6 status in jeopardy, which is the tax exempt status. But go ahead. Yes, exactly. Thank you for having that quote. Very handy. And I think that that's such a, a big part on what is going to happen with the PGA Tour going in the next 10 to 20 years because if that is the case, then all of a sudden you're going to have people like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy owning the PGA Tour. And that there are a lot of good things that could come from that. There are a lot of good things that could go bad from that. You could create something. We worried about how, how Jay Monahan still has a job. Well, it could create a system where maybe players who are a little bit down have some more say than they do now. Or it could be the exact opposite. And then all the top guys have even more say than they do now, which would be absolutely crazy. And then at that point, you would say, well, I, I think anything with, with Tiger Woods backing it financially is probably going to be pretty successful. So that could be a good thing for the PGA Tour. But, I mean, Woody, as for you being a former player yourself, what what would that be like for the PGA Tour to now all of a sudden not just be a, a, a essentially a, a nonprofit organization as they, as they claim to be for so many years, now all of a sudden being essentially a, a full-on business? Sam said it best. If, if you guys want to really get all the dust settled or you want to really find out what's going on with this, follow the money. Because that's all it is. It, 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 everywhere. Everywhere in business. Everywhere in sports in general. Follow the money. Follow where that money trail is. If If I'm a guy that's not one of the top players in the world, I'm just hoping and praying that they still find a way that I've got a place to play golf 
for this 150, 200 other guys, you know, from the corn ferry to what we call the secondary tour, which is what's happening. This tour is, this tour is breaking apart guys, whether we like it or not. We're not looking at 156 man fields very much anymore, unless you're going to go to the secondary level. So, um, as long as they can keep finding the money to back all these guys playing golf, it sounds great. But it's the same thing we always talked about earlier today, where I don't think they're focused and I don't think they care as much. They're making it now where it's even easier not to care. No cut. <laughs> $25 million or whatever that money they're putting out every week in a tournament or every one of these events. Ah, man. You know what happens to people that get fat and happy? They get nothing lazy. good usually. Yeah, yeah, they're lazy or they die. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you got to be so careful that you you don't make it so get blocked off and so easy. And uh, well, I'll say this: we haven't seen the end of Tiger. Tiger is going to be more involved in the next ten years with the PGA Tour than he ever was playing. Just Not just Tiger, Woody, but Rory, Rory as well, because they are business oh, yeah. partners in this TGL. And let's take yeah. quotes from what we heard from Rory last year talking about how we need to do what's best for legacy and what's best for the tour. We got this quote this week from Rory McIlroy, if you're really paying attention. This is a, a real quote. He said, instead of trying to think about what's good for the tour, think about what's good for the players that are on the tour. I think that that's where people need to reframe their mind a little bit. He is clearly talking about the fact that, you know, now we have to keep the players happy at the top of the PGA Tour, kind of. That's what he's trying to make it seem like he's talking about. But Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods see an opportunity to win these non-elevated event sponsors get upset the TGL that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy own is going to come in and be that private equity guys and Tiger and Rory see an opportunity to be on the ground floor of buying into the PGA buying a percentage in the PGA tour when all of this does crumble down and so by the way this is a money decision not a legacy decision to go to your point Woody no doubt, and, and I love I love saying the fact that you do your homework and you look at this. Most people do not. If you if you just watch every day, life goes by. Somebody might say something, let's say back in January, and then when they say the opposite in March, nobody goes back and goes, "Hey, didn't you just say in January that it was this?" It's like. Uh, yeah, that didn't count. Now I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's like, it really what? is. So we'll talk about Brandel Chambly, too. What we've heard about how Live Golf is an ex ex exhibition. T-Dub, you brought this up. Great point about, you know, Brandel not only talking about the private equity coming in, but talking about trying to explain to us why no cut is better for the PGA Tour after he spent all last year explaining to us why no cut was an exhibition on Live, T-Dub, right? It, it was, again, yeah, so I, I was literally about fell out of my chair because I was, in all honesty, I wasn't shocked one bit, but it just, it, it blew me away that you could be such an, I mean, just absolute hypocrite when it came to that. And, and my whole point is, Woody, is that, are you really telling me that, that the difference between being 
one of the best of golf events of all time versus an exhibition is one more added round of golf and 25 more players. That's literally the difference between a live event and now a PJ Tour elevated event, with the exception of a shotgun start, which get, okay, give me that. But I, I, really, is that the difference? <laughs> it, 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 that's what, yeah. When you cut it, see, the problem is, gentlemen, we ought to be the most popular broadcast in the whole world. You know why? Because we step on ourselves all the time, but we admit it. And, and, and we say stupid things, and we bring it back up saying, hey, you know how dumb we were? We said this, okay? We're the most honest podcast that probably ever happens in the world, okay? But that's not where the world is in a lot of ways. It's sure not where it is in sports. It, it's, I got to say the right thing now. I don't know what I said back then. That didn't matter. Okay, that was, you know, I, I, made, I didn't make a mistake. I don't even remember saying that. Well, I'm saying this now. Hey, guess what? In two more months, they're going to say something else that's going to be different, and we're going to all laugh about it. We're going to bring it up. But when it's all said and done, it's almost – they're getting to be closer and closer, aren't they, guys? This formula or this market that we're talking about. This live and PGA Tour are getting closer and closer, are they not? No, they really are. And, guys, I mean, yeah. I think we haven't really talked about the main point here. I mean, how are the PGA Tour going to argue that they deserve OWGR points and Liv doesn't when literally you're going to have an like the exact same format as T-Dub just laid out to us? I mean, do we do the does the PGA Tour really think that the golf fans are that stupid? Like, I, I'm being yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah, I think they do. Unfortunately, yes, yes, day to day in our lives. It, 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 and, and again, we're not politics here, but watch, watch some of the dumbest things you've ever heard from our politicians, and, and day in and day out. And it, and people still vote for these idiots. Okay. Speaking so, of that, like yeah. Jay Monahan being the politician in this whole situation, yeah. this is an exact quote. Speaking of quotes, I got quotes from everybody here. Jay Monahan in 2022 said, "Quote." Those who play in the live golf exhibitions are missing out on the legacy, competitiveness, and tradition of the PGA Tour. What, are the, what does Jay Monahan do last week in 2023, not even a year after saying that? By the way, we're going to have a, you know, a series of limited field, no-cut events with guaranteed money. I mean, seriously, is anybody paying attention? Yeah, well, see, that's, the, that's, the, that's where they're going now, back, back when... 2022 when it started sam they had to go with the legacy and how bad saudi arabia was now they had all these uh, terrible things that happened out of saudi arabia they went the political deal in 2022 now in 2023 they're going to we're well we're growing the game we're making this so much better it's amazing if they were pinocchio jay monahan's nose would have already hit a wall that's 25 from it it's <laughs> This is just hypocrisy. It's fine. It's hypocrites. <laughs> D-Dub called it. This is why at my age, I don't like to watch and read a lot because I get irritated. And I'm too old to get irritated, okay? I don't want to get irritated. But you guys get irritated because it ought to piss you off. They're a bunch of lying sacks of dog dump. They're just filling themselves however they want to do it. And the doggone person out there watching it is falling for it, Sam. I hate to tell you. You said, how can they do this? PGA people are, or the fans are smarter than that. No, they're not. 
And I'll, no, I'll tell you how people are falling for it is the PGA Tour, T-Dub, and you can speak to this too if you want to. The PGA Tour did a hell of a job by convincing everybody that this was about, you know, Saudi Arabian politics and not money. I think it's that to simplify it down, and they use the Golf Channel and all their other outlets to do that, and a lot of people still think that's the truth. Yeah, they, use, yeah, they potentially just use a scapegoat to try to move the reason they're not in. Like you said, you've been saying it best this whole time. If you just follow the money, you, you'll you'll be able to figure out exactly what's going on. And if people had done that from the beginning, then, then things may be a little bit different. But in all honesty, I just I, I think that we talked about this numerous times about how the, the two tours can coexist. But if, if the tour is going to keep making these changes, and the question is, are they done making changes? And I, I don't think they are at this point because they keep going so much into such extremes. And now. They made so many changes to, to to combat live. Now they've made changes to keep their players, to retain their players. Now they're going to have to keep making more changes going forward to keep the sponsors happy. I mean, I just go on the PJ Tour website right here, and I, I go through the, the list of marketing partners they have. And, I mean, there's about 30 to 40 on here. And, I mean, you got likes of NetJex, Pacific Life, Rolex, Southern Company, um, United Rentals, going through a Velocity Global, a Valspar, which is very interesting because right. they're they're having a tournament next week at uh, down in Innisbrook, and that's not an elevated event. And will that ever be an elevated event? So, I mean, just reading through here and, and all this, it's like they're going to have to follow the money, and that's that's one of the things that I'm worried about is they keep making changes, and if they keep making even more changes, I think it's, they're honestly at the line right now, Woody, of I, I think if they just stick with this and find some way to keep the, the rotation of what is an elevated event, I think it can work. But they're trying to make any more changes. It's going to keep – they're going to just spiral down the downhill that uh, we've been prognosticating that may happen for some time. I don't think the tour is ever going to fall away or go anywhere, but I, I think that they're in between a rock and our place, especially if they're uh, not able to, to find some way to retain some of this money, especially with all the uh, the purses that they keep giving out. Because, I mean, Tiger said – I don't think he lied about this, where they said they had to take out a loan – during the pandemic, so I mean, they have a lot of money to give away, but it's not like they have uh, eighty trillion dollars. They do not. They do not have Saudi Arabian money. They, there's no way they have had their sponsors, and and we got, we got, we all know that. But as long as they have the media behind them, as long as they have all of golf, as Sam, you said it the other day. You said something like ninety five percent of all the media is positive pro uh, PGA and negative lives. So. If as long as they've got that, I, I truly believe, gentlemen. I, I swear to you, if if they said over and over again, day in day out, that the sun is really not coming up in the east, it's really coming up in the west, and it's setting in the east. Randall Chamblee would say truly, it for the PGA Tour. I truly believe that they would have a certain group of people. I hate to even say this because I I want to believe people are smarter than this, but I truly believe that people would go. Yeah, you know, they're right. I see it now. I see that sun coming up in the west, and it's setting in the east. And and, and you'd look at them and go, no, it's not right here. And they'd go, no, 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 because Brandon Chamblee told me it was doing that, you know? And they'll go, oh, okay, I'm all in. Like, cattle going to slaughter. You know, here's this trail we've all seen. You ever seen where cattle walk on the same trail? Yeah. Because they're not smart, you know? So if, if PGA, if People that play golf are not smart enough to see the big picture. Gentlemen, doesn't do us any good to argue with them because you're just wasting your breath. I'll tell you right now, we're wasting our breath. And last point I want to make here is be careful who you listen to with 
whether it be Brandel or Rory, because that's not the opinion of all these PGA Tour players. I mean, we heard James Hahn come out and literally say, quote, this is all bullshit. That's his exact yeah. quote, because, I mean, basically they're turning non-elevated events into the Corn Ferry Tour, T-Dub. 100%. That's what we've been saying for a while. And I, and I want to point out here is that we are talking about a lot of people who have been very hypocritical during, during this Brandon Chambly, Eamon Lynch, one of them. But there have been other people who have been, who traditionally have been pretty supportive of PJ Tour and against Liv, who even they're, they're coming out and saying, okay, these changes are a little bit ridiculous. Like, seriously, no cut. Like, I, th- I feel like that was kind of the, the deal breaker for a lot of people on this because it just says, oh, okay, like everyone said that was one of the things about Liv that they needed so much was a cut. And now all of a sudden, People, once you get a certain point of hypocrisy, but between it, there's a lot of people who can see between the lines, Woody. And I think that the no cut is really the thing that that finally broke that barrier. You're, that's a great I point, T. Dub Woody. Real quick, because they've made the argument that no, the Hero World Challenge is just a one-off event. Now this is literally eight events, Woody. Do you see what I'm saying? They were trying to say that that. The reason why the Hero World Challenge gets official World Golf ranking points is because it's a one-off event. That is not a precedent. Well, how are they going to argue this? I don't get it. They won't, Sam. They will not argue this. You are not going to get them to argue something like this. They're going to do it, and you're going to like it. (laughs) Yeah. Until they lose in court because it's there's a bunch of hypocrisy going on. you know. And here's the deal that could fix all of this, right? They could fix all of this, and it has nothing to do with the PGA Tour or Live. If the four major championships just took the top 15 guys from Live on their money list every year, the, the arguing would be over. Would it yeah. not? Yeah, but then that's giving in. See, that's giving in to a product that they bash and bash and bash. They have, they can't, Sam, they, they won't, they can't give in. They're going to fight this and fight this and fight this. They will not give in. And so if you, if you want the other one not to have any say or keep them down, keep them down, you start going another direction and you lie some more. And then you go a different direction and you lie some more. And then you go over here and you lie some more. People won't be able to keep up. And then it becomes such a uh, oh, a circus that everybody loves the circus. And they, they all come in. Let me tell you something. I, I, I promise you, I wish I was not saying this, gentlemen, but they're going to win. They're going to they're going to win on this deal. They're going to find a way because if you think there's not federal judges that are on the take, yeah. <laughs> you think there well, are people not just that there? they're going to win because they have Tiger Woods and Rory in their back pocket who want a percentage of the PGA Tour like Tito brought up. And again, follow the money, follow the money, and uh, they can't outspend Saudi Arabia, but they can't they can't out media. They can use the media, and they have been in the media. And the media is the strongest thing in America right now. And that's the one ace that they have in their hole, that the PGA Tour has in their hole, is the fact that they have done a great job controlling the media circus of this whole situation. And that means that it doesn't necessarily mean that a, a sponsor like Honda, that yes, they are pissed off at the PGA Tour, but Liv doesn't have good enough ratings that Honda would go and sponsor a Liv event. Do you see what I'm saying? Because they have done such a good job with controlling the media aspect of all of this, right? Absolutely. Then you just have the 
the deal of, well, yeah, do you want to go to the, what was, as you said, with the media portraying how, how bad Liv has been, when no one would, would leave and go to that. But at the end of the day, it, it's, it's one thing that the PJ Tour, I, I thought they would have in all this, I thought they would have time on their advantage because they have the longevity from all their, their past history and they have Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy behind them. But how fast they're making these changes makes me seem like they're extremely pressed, which is very, very interesting because we don't know if, if Liv continues not to make revenue as they did last year. I mean, how long will, will the, will the Saudis decide to keep funding it? Not so that's why I think PJ tour did have the most valuable asset. Everyone says it's money, but in my opinion, it's time. And if the PJ tour is running out of time, as they feel like they are making all these changes, then maybe there's some, some, some concerns that we're not even looking at right now that, that are on the table. And it's, uh, it's it's definitely propelled a lot of a lot of things. I know that we we talk all the time. You guys just brought up earlier about how every day we look at the the iPad or the laptop or phone or whatever and just see all these new changes coming in. But it's uh it's went from just a, a fairly breezy storm to almost a full on tornado, and it's it keeps on going, going, going. It's yeah, absolutely it's, it's, a tornado. Yeah, it's like yeah. It, maybe an F one, F two right now. The question is, what is it ever going to get to about an F five? And it, it's it's on that track. It's it's getting there quick. I'll tell you that much, gentlemen. And and here's the thing that makes it so tough. Greg Norman is so alienated in in the world of golf right now. Even if he makes statements that are correct and based on facts, they twist it and make it where he looks like he's either uh, oh a bigot or over the top or no something just there. They 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 keep him looking as evil as he can possibly be even even if he is right in some of the statements he makes they will turn on him like a yard dog okay so uh, uh that's what i'm saying that the pga tour is in the driver's seat and will remain in the driver's seat as long as all the press is negative towards live and positive towards pga no it's going to be a tough tough fight no doubt. It's going to be a really tough fight. And the last point that I want to make here that I think a lot of people don't understand is the TGL, obviously, is Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods' business venture of, you know, the simulator golf. That's It's going to be an awesome product, I, I guess. It's going to be really interesting to watch. But if you look at who is signed to the TGL, it's all of the top players on the PGA Tour. I don't even need to list them off. If he's a top guy on the PGA Tour, he's signed to TGL. And how I would kind of use an example here, remember, if you're an NBA fan, remember when Anthony Davis went to the Lakers, there was a question on, you know, how legitimate is this? Because, yes, the Lakers are going to pay Anthony Davis this amount of money. But LeBron James is also going to pay Anthony Davis millions of dollars to make an appearance in Space Jam 2. This is kind of how the PGA Tour is paying these players guaranteed money indirectly, they're saying, you know, stay on the PGA Tour. We'll get you paid over here on the TGL and keep our non-exempt status over here. But like Phil Mickelson's talking about with that TV deal, that might be the the straw that breaks the camel's back on on them being tax-exempt, T-Dub. 100%. And, and you mentioned the guys who were on TGL earlier. I mean, just these are just the, the confirmed names. You have Tiger, Rory, JT, Ron, Morikawa, Adam Scott, Fitzpatrick, uh, Max Homa, and Billy Horschel. And we talked about this earlier. Woody brought this up with Liv talking about how one of the things they advocated was the team aspect. Well, don't we see a realm of possibility where this TGL turns into team formats and we get into the same structure where players could have ownership in their teams? I think that is a very, very likely scenario. 
Oh, I, I, again, I think that's the only that's the only difference in these two tours that I'm seeing as this is unfolding as each day passes. The Lib still is big on this team, Ellen. Okay, well, that's kind of what Tiger is doing, isn't he? With his deal, he and Rory's deal. I keep calling Tiger's deal. He and Rory's deal. Yep. They're trying. They're trying to get that going, also, guys. So. You all laughed about it earlier, but you were spot on when you said that the World Golf Tour that Greg Norman thought of in the 90s and Tim Finch and, and Dean Beeman squelled that. They put a thumb on that as quickly as they could because, heaven forbid, somebody else get their hand in the pie. They weren't going to let him, okay? Yet, this is what it's kind of become. It's taken a number of years. Same thing going on here, guys. It's, it's, it's pretty cool when you really look at it. It'd be a great study from an economic and a business plan to see how these guys are going to pull this off but trust me they got an idea and they're going to get it done no they absolutely do and it's uh, as a golf fan enjoy it right now because this is the best it's ever going to get that you have elevated events and live events every other week you know there's only three weeks out of the year where you don't have an elevated event a live event or a major to watch on tv because eventually it's it's they're gonna have to you know figure something else out because nobody's happy right now it's not even like there's a compromise like the pga tour players aren't happy except for the top five guys the live players aren't happy because they don't have official world golf ranking points and the rest of the PGA Tour players are pissed off that they're turning into turning the non-elevated events into the Corn Ferry Tour. So, yes, it's a great product to watch right now, but enjoy it while we still have it. That, those are my final thoughts, T-Dub, I guess, on the fact that they are coexisting right now, ironically, in all of this. Um, but T-Dub, I mean, what are your final thoughts on, on this whole situation? I, I thought this was a really good discussion. It, it seriously was, yeah. I mean, everyone brought some really great points. To I'll just say that I think we've, we've kind of reached a point now to where I, we knew it was going to be an ever-changing landscape, but I thought a lot of things we were kind of able to prognosticate fairly rightly along the way. I think we're at a point now in the storm, guys, to where I think we're going to have a lot of things come out within the next year or two that hardly any of us are going to be able to predict, and I think it's going to make it even more crazy. I just see this ever-changing landscape, and like I think, Woody, I think that my closing thing is, is that I'm just prepared for constant chaos coming up, whether it be good or bad, but it's just going to be ever-changing. And uh, I think the way that golf is going to look in the next 10 years, I don't think any of us can uh, even picture right now. I don't think we can either, guys. And that's, that's going to be cool for you all. But 10 years from now, I might not have to worry about anything. That'd be good with me, too. But, You're going to um, be here. What do you stop that? I could, you don't know, I, and if, if God took me tomorrow, I'd have a great life, guys, remember that, so, it, uh, you know what, I think that you all, your analogy with the tornado is what is really cool, because we live in tornadoes, and we know what they do, it, depending on the size of it, but it can come through and take out your house, Sam, and I can, my house is right next door to you, and it doesn't touch my house. Yep. And, guys, this is what I see. That tornado analogy is so cool because what is it going to wipe out and what is going to go untouched? Oh, we don't know. And there's the fun part. What a perfect time to be doing something like this podcast, gentlemen, because it it sometimes would be boring. It's not boring. It's not boring any week. Every time we do this, I'm always amazed. We'll sit here and talk for an hour and a half, two hours, and we still don't get everything covered. So, Hey, the tornado's on the ground. What's it going to hit? I don't know. Let's watch. 
No doubt about it, guys. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, we'll be back later in the week. And by the way, like we said at the beginning of the show, our man Charles Howe let us know this morning that something popped up for him and said that he'll make it right later at a certain time. Hopefully we get him later in the week for the interview. Either way, we're going to be back before the Players' Championship for a second show this week to preview the Players' Championship. And uh, by the way, none of the top three guys that finished in the Players last year are going to be there, whether it be Cam Smith, Honor Bon Lahiri, or, or Paul Casey. So it's going to be interesting uh, this year. And it, by the way, the last point I wanted to make on, on the whole discussion here. It is interesting, T-Dub, that last year we thought that it was chaos and we just right now realized after discussing this with each other and I think a lot of fans that listen to this will realize that last year was just the tip of the iceberg. Remember when we talked about on our preview show for 2023 whether tempers uh, will you know lessen in 2023? <laughs> That's not going to happen. It's going to be absolutely wild, right? I mean, this is this start to 2023 has just been ridiculous already. Well, the, the iceberg analogy is pretty good because you ever just Google one right now and you can see it. I mean, 90% of the huge block of ice is under the water. I mean, that's essentially what crashed the Titanic. It wasn't necessarily what was above, it was below. And we've reached a point beyond the horizon where we're at a point now where it's going to be utter chaos. And uh, I just can't wait. I, I can't wait to see what happens, honestly. It's going to be absolutely great. I just hope that for, for the sake of the game of golf, which is the entire thing that I care about, everyone here, see, or everyone in the world of golf seems to have a side in this argument. All I care about is the game, and I hope that all these changes that go forward are best for the game of golf, and a lot, every change is going to be made for someone's pocketbook, but I at least hope that the consequence of that is that the game of golf keeps growing, which it has been over the last few years. No doubt about it, guys. Woody, thank you. Teed up, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go hit that subscribe button. It's the purple button on Apple and the green button on Spotify. It just helps us out and notifies you when we drop a new episode, and it's absolutely free. Visit Golf Oklahoma. Go see Quail Creek Bank. And we will be back later this week for our players' preview. So stay tuned to that here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast.